0: Hello, welcome to the edited version of Josie and Robin's Book Shambles. If you'd like to hear the full version of this conversation, then you can go to cosmicshambles.com slash bookshambles and become one of our Patreon supporters, uh, which you can do for as little as $1 an episode. That's $1 US dollar, and obviously it will depend on which of our economies is declining more, uh, how much that actually works out in pounds, uh, euros, (music) etc. Hello, welcome to Book Shambles. Before we get underway with this week's episode, uh, just remind you that Book Shambles is at the Albert Hall Science and Science Fiction Authors, four episodes, uh, and uh, our first announced guest is Lucy Green. Uh, there are more that will be announced over the next couple of months, and we're recording at the Albert Hall on June the 4th and June the 11th.
1: Hello, and welcome to Robin and JC's Book Shambles. We're back again. Uh, I I want it to be, like, steaming into 2018, but then, I don't know, it just feels a little aggressive. And also, because I missed the first couple of 2018, we've already well-established our 2018 vibe... But nonetheless, uh, as the year progresses... <laughs> see, this is why I don't do the introductions, because I don't feel like I've got a good handle on it at the very No, start. but what I
0: like about you doing them is it means that everyone knows that they're not listening to Radio 4. That's true. Whereas I might accidentally go, uh, oh, welcome to uh, Josie and Robin's book shambles. And uh, today we're joined by um, someone who a few years ago... <laughs> then everyone <laughs> will go, we don't know if we're, you know, the wrong thing. So that's exactly... Um, uh...
1: I'm really excited uh, about our guest today because... Uh, She's somebody who I really uh, admire and enjoy uh, following on uh, Twitter, which I know is a very modern thing, but it's it's very important. Like, on a day-to-day basis, you sort of get to, I don't know, share people's politics and feel very kind of empowered by different uh, people being in your feed and in your life and stuff like that. Uh, So we have uh, the chef, the author, um, and broadcaster, Ruby Tando with us. We love calling everyone a broadcaster, we can't help ourselves. You are
0: a broadcaster, (laughs) you You definitely broadcast things, yeah.
1: So, deal with it. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) But hi, uh, thanks for coming. Uh, I'm also a bit gassy because I have finally got a copy of your book in my hand, even though I didn't fully appreciate that I've had a few days to read it um, now, so I'm like... I feel frustrated because I think once I've read it, I'll be, like, then getting back and being like, um, the other thing I'd like to ask is on page. You're going to have to give me the... a phone call. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a follow-up interview. Um, but uh, this is your first book, and it's it's sort of, it's all kinds of things, isn't it?
0: Well, it's your first book book, isn't it? As in, as mm. in like, something with a, uh, when I say narrative, non-fiction, yeah. but... So you've done a couple of recipe books,
2: haven't yeah, you? That's oh, right. God, yeah, that's right. I'm rubbish. I'm sorry. No, oh no, no,
0: don't don't worry. Do you know how I found that out? Had huh. a little chat the <laughs> sofa about ten minutes ago. Oh, look
1: at
2: this. <laughs> this Again, if this was
0: Radio Four, there would be researchers. Well, it I would all be.
1: A while back, you you put, uh, you were part of putting out um, like a, it was like a zine yes, thing yeah. that seemed really great. Um, please please tell people about that.
2: <laughs> so this was uh, when was it? It was about a year ago now. And uh, my partner and I, we had this idea, like, yeah, we'll just do, like, a 10-page pamphlet about, like, mental health. And it'll just be, like, us just writing little bits and we'll sell it for two quid and donate the money to charity. And before you knew it, we'd kind of messaged everyone we knew asking if they wanted to contribute. And then it became this tome. And, uh, I mean, it was massive. It was, like, 100 pages. It was literally <laughs> a small book. And we had, we published it ourselves. We had to get all the illustrators and all that. And we raised, like... Honestly, I've lost track of how much money, but, like, probably about 20000 now for charity. And uh, it was really exciting. Although, at one point, there were so many zines in our house that, like, to get down the hallway, you had to, like, go sideways like a little crab. It was a disgusting time for our personal (laughs) mental health, ironically.
0: Why did you decide... What what was the initial reason that both of you thought, right, let's put this scene together? What was the inspiration for it?
2: I think... I don't know we just wanted something to do wanted a little project it was kind of like the new year little burst of enthusiasm like maybe this year I'll be a worthwhile citizen and so we just thought we'd we'd give it a go but then yeah as I say it spiralled out of control it became so much bigger than we could handle but it was fun
1: but that's how you can know that an idea is good is when it really connects with people so much like that and you're suddenly like oh I didn't realise I'd tapped into something that a lot of people are deeply feeling and want to sort of discuss and participate with
2: yeah it was fantastic as well because so many of the um, stories that we ended up getting for it were ones that you know were obviously new to us so like it was a process of learning as well it wasn't just like collating all these stories and and ideas that we already knew. It was very much like a discovery, which was really fun. Oh, cool!
0: So, what in terms of what you would hope that people got from it? Because now mm. there, there, there seems to be there seems to be a good time in terms of communicating ideas about mental health, mm. about people finding out that what they might think is just their individual idiosyncrasy that must be kept quiet, that is hampering their life, or worse. And now more and more people are going, Oh, no, no, this is the, these things are are, are common. And that moment of I mean I think we see it a lot in stand up where there's more and more comedians I mean we've mentioned obviously Hannah Gadsby before and uh sophie Hagen, sophie Hagen uh you know, the, yeah there's lots of people out there who are doing shows where people sit and at the end of it go oh oh i can i this is I can say this out aloud because uh, it's not uh, and was that, that part of was that, that any part of 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 the inspiration behind it
2: yeah I mean uh... It's tricky because, I mean, like, most of the people that I know professionally are, like, foodie people, and, uh, as you can imagine, it's a very, like, lovely, gentle, in-the-kitchen kind of world, do you know what I mean? Like, there's not really those, those kind of discussions, so, um i didn't really know whether there'd be any kind of like pick up on on that kind of discussion from the food people but they loved it i got like the food mums flooding into my inbox saying like yeah like I've i've been depressed for ages or you know i really struggle with this or whatever like it i mean it's all there it's just not necessarily spoken about in some circles so yeah it was really interesting to see
0: so it's, I suppose there is... I, I saw a little bit of a Mary Berry show the other day where, you know, there's the gazebo behind her, there's the beautiful pieces of topiary, you know, which are growing out of the garden, and there, there is a rather wonderful cake being made while uh, a charming child runs up to say a story. And, and I suppose that's part... In some ways, you know, there is... I can see how you would imagine. you go, oh, no, no, this is just an, an idyll of a, egg and sponge and yeah. icing. And,
1: and also I think that people sort of... There's definitely become... Uh, culture of like, I've had this thing about uh, how, what was it, about how the mum internet became this really sanitised thing, about how like it's almost become less vulnerable and less humane, all these things that are seemingly about like wellness or about health or about nourishment have suddenly become really polished and really slick and corporate almost that might have started out as people like writing a food blog and then mm-hmm. became like An influencer doing a very specific thing, you know.
0: What were when you when you were growing up? What were the kind of the cookery books around that? Because I I'm of a generation which is post-war, quite post-war when I was born, 25 years later, but <laughs> it, it did mean that uh, it's just so people aren't shocked when they see me, because I've aged very badly, so I actually <laughs> do look like I was born. Just as the last bomb was dropped, it came out. <laughs> you can't
1: just, it's your new strategy just to pretend you're 20 years older than you are. Well, that's much
0: better. If you're lying about your age, I've told you this before, always <laughs> lie up. If you, if you go, <laughs> lie
1: like, up, if, if, there, if you lie
0: I'm down, if, if, if I say, um, yeah, I'm 36 <laughs> years old, well, yeah, whereas if I go, actually, I'm uh, 60 uh, eight. Then they <laughs> go. Whoa, you look good for 68. <laughs> and for 68, I look bloody good. <laughs> for 48, I look a little bit tattered. Oh, Robin, this I'm, is sad. I'm in the middle of Miss Havisham's table. Do you, know, uh,
1: do you know what's sad about this? This book to me is is about kind of loving and accepting yourself. And then you've got you being like, oh, I look so old. No, no, but, I'm not, but I do accept it as
0: well, because I don't... One of the things that I have an issue with are things like the culture of, you know, people feeling they have to have, you know, oh, it's great, hair plugs are now fully accessible. Mm. In fact, if you go to Turkey, you can get them done for 50 quid. And you go, let's have more, you know, bald, mm. greying, you know, swollen, gnarled, whatever. I, I think <laughs> of, of, across the board, that bit where you just go, it doesn't matter, mm. because the life of the mind is the thing, isn't it? But I had a
1: really interesting argument with friend who's a moral philosopher, um, which is also very funny because, well he's my friend from uni and we used to live together and just do stupid hijinks and now he is a moral philosopher at Oxford, so it's sort of like very (laughs) weird, but um, I had this argument with him because we were sort of talking about, I was sort of saying how I want people to have the freedom to lead their authentic lives and be their authentic self in a way that's relaxed and warm and stuff, and I sort of said something about hair plugs, about how it made me sad because it felt very much like a forced thing that was inauthentic and then he was like but surely like emotional growth is painful and if body modification is also painful but it leads to a similar kind of self-acceptance and I didn't fully agree with him but he's such a good arguer now I couldn't yeah. wait and I was like I suppose you're right I suppose anything anyone does at all I should just be and then it was yeah it was really interesting so it's a debate Okay, <laughs> and a moral philosopher said that I was wrong. So, anyway, um, I didn't even mean to talk
0: about, about the terrible. Does does they, um, but you no, know, it's though, just
2: there's a lot in common there between like that stuff, hair plugs, and food, and like it is that thing where you, yeah, you don't want to criticize individual people's decisions. You sure. don't want to be like, no, you can't get hair plugs. Like you're letting down the team because it feels like, oh, just let him live his life. Let him go to Turkey and spend some money on sure. his hair plugs. But like. I mean that's just the same as with food where you know i might see someone like cutting out every single food group from their diet and it makes me sad but i can't stop them but what you can be angry at other industries that kind of feed that down to you and and kind of help to proliferate these terrible ideas and these standards
1: yeah that's true it's um don't hate the player hate the game yeah there we <laughs> like, go that's
2: because,
1: it <laughs> but exactly you're right like Yeah, the the people that are seeking to profit from deliberately making people feel insecure is the same in all these... You know, in in beauty and diet and all of those things. So, like, how how did it work for you when you approached writing this book? Was it that you were coming at it from a food point of view, first and foremost, in terms of, like, the recipes and the sharing of that? Or was it coming at it from maybe more of a political point of view in terms of kind of challenging a lot of the bullshit?
2: I think... I mean, it's funny because for a book all about food, it's actually, I would say it's primarily about things that kind of are not exactly the food. So, like, obviously in the middle of the picture is this plate of food, metaphorical plate of food, but it's about everything that happens just outside the plate. So who's eating the food? Why are they eating it? Who passed down that recipe to them? What are the cultures of eating that are dictating their manners and their habits and all of these things? And so it's, it's about everything, I guess. It's a bit, like... Bit psychology and a bit of sociology and just like all of everything to do with our cultures of eating. Yeah.
0: How good is this line? This is from the opening of Sharing Plates on Living and Dying in a Time of Waffles. <laughs> we live in a time of waffles. I feel dizzy when I start thinking about chance because it's great. We're living in a time of waffles. So it's this is. <laughs> so what is? it So what was the? Because uh, I imagine people still saying, "Can you do another recipe book?" Right. You know, I I, I presume that that's the. The easy sell, in terms of you know, when someone has a public profile for what you you did with with Bake Off is, mm-hmm. oh, can't you do another recipe book? And you went, no, I want to do something more. So, so can you? Because a little bit of the background of 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 what Eat Up is 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 really about. What <laughs> yeah. drove you to write it?
2: I think.
1: You're right. She wasn't so water. There's a glass. Here. I'm, I'm, a glass. glass. I'm, I'm just. I sound but- worse than I am. It's ridiculous.
0: She has a real knack. Every no, uh, one of the it? things that That's I love. No, no, true. no. I love it. I think one of the things that is great is breaking cliches. And one of the cliches is that uh, when a man gets a cold, he gets all that kind of a. But. Josie has shown that it's actually universal. You do. No-one does. You ringing in oh, no. ill for work would have been... I can't come into book shambles today. I've got to be the one in the course. You've never sounded more Victorian laugh. than you do now.
1: I can't have a lens. You can't even have a fucking lens. You're <laughs> fucking pregnant. You can't even have a fucking lens. Can <laughs> you really not. No. Oh. And nobody tells you. <laughs> I tell you tell a thousand things. can't even have a fucking ibuprofen. I'll just take two paracetamol. Ugh. To do you well done nothing? Anyway, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, um, I'm I'm sorry we for because, because I'm so in- interested in what you're <laughs> saying no, as well, and I hate the fact that I start a coffee. Um please let us resume as if this incident okay, did not okay. okay. <laughs> right,
0: I'll do it in radio for. So, um, Ruby, uh, what inspired <laughs> you to write the book tub? Right.
2: Well. Um kind of a year and a bit ago maybe a couple of years ago I wrote a article for vice about clean eating and wellness diet culture yeah. all of those things and um I got approached by a couple of editors actually about like would you like to write a book about this and I said not really because I didn't want to just write this like you know diatribe against clean eating I didn't want it to like start from a negative sure. and so I sat on it for a while and I just think and then um you saw, like, I I want to write something positive. I want to write something about all the stuff I wish that people had written about foods, you know, when, when I was a teenager, when I was a bit younger. And so that's, what, that's kind of where it came from. And also, like, as you said, like, a recipe book is, like, the easy, it's the easy one. It's a well-trodden path. And this was a lot harder sell. But this is what I want to be writing, you know, there's a million recipes in the world. Like, we have Google at our fingertips. Like, all of my recipe books on my shelves are pretty much untouched because I'm like, I fancy a curry. Like, I'll Google that, even though I've got the books right there. So I didn't want to, like, add another, add more pages to that very dense field. So I wanted to do something a bit different.
0: So when you say when you were a teenager, the kind of information you had been fed, what can you broaden out on that? Then, what what are the kind of misconceptions or or things that you now go, oh, we need to fight against these ideas?
2: Oh, like I just remember reading, and I can't remember what magazine it was, but like one of the like glossy weekly magazines, and I'd read it as a kind of fifteen year old, and there was always a feature at the back, like what I eat in a day, and it was always some celebrity, and it always always started with. Hot water with lemon, and I was like, Oh my god, everyone's having hot water with lemon! Like, <laughs> I guess I should get in on this like, this hideous breakfast, non breakfast. And it's oh, just, Shut up to have lemon oh, it's revolting, it's a terrible way to live. Like, I just, you know, for some people it's fine, but it is this idea, and it's replicated in, in so much of the media that whatever these incredibly uh good looking and pampered and rich people eat in Hollywood, you can and should be eating that too, when in reality no one's, no one's expecting you to eat that and you you really shouldn't probably for your health.
1: Well also it reminds me of like I think it's I'm not sure which magazine. It might be like closer magazine or something. PubMe they always have an article that's like What's in your fridge?
2: And it'll be kind
1: of a a yeah. star's fridge. And it'll all be like spinach, salmon, blueberries. And then there'll be one thing, like a nice normal thing, like, oh, some chocolate or something. And then it'll say, our expert says no, the spinach and the blueberries are good, but you really shouldn't be having yes. the chocolate. And it's, like, got the shame in it. Even though, like, obviously this person is incredibly healthy and, you know, oh, my God. But that always so used to be, that
0: thing, thing, I don't know if it's still in the Sunday Times, so I don't read newspapers anymore, but they used to have a thing called A Life in a Day. And oh, it would yeah. always, I used to, I, I, to I read that one him. out, what was it, the, the, the woman who, who ended up on Strictly Come Dancing, I used to do it live. I'd read out the whole of her, Strictly Come Dancing, she used to be a newsreader, and it was all about Bikram yoga and... You said hot water and lemon, and then if I, you know, if I'm a little bit naughty, I have some muesli or something else, which is disgusting and dry, and I hate everything that's on my plate. And as I look at it and I hate it, I realise what a good person I am. That does seem to be something that's. Uh, oh, I just delighted in some food. Well, you'll probably be ill later then. Yeah,
1: but also, I think it's a feminist thing as well because I think about like how beauty culture is. It, it diminishes and silences women and how, like, what's really exciting is the idea of, like, enjoying yourself and enjoying your life and, like, not necessarily, like, greediness, but this idea of, like, approaching life with an appetite and of, like, approaching food with an appetite is so linked in with that and, like, I think that's what's exciting about, kind of, your writing and your, like, standpoint as well is it's so like pushing back against all of those things which are kind of like starving people in lots of ways and stuff
2: yeah i think there's so much um it's like a distancing i think is happening at the moment between us and our appetites like i don't know i don't know where it comes from exactly but if there's just this sense that i get that you know like your belly rumbling or you're just feeling like oh god i really really want some chocolate or whatever it's like a bit of a dangerous feeling you know people feel like oh what if this tumbles out of control like what if i just only jelly babies for the rest of my life like people get really anxious about it and so they outsource their their diet information they're like okay well i guess i'm hungry right now but I'll, i'll consult this book and i'll find out if if i should be eating now first you know and so all of the decisions are are sent out to these, you know, wellness gurus and, and people like that. It's a really strange way that that we've come. Yeah, and it's like, like yet another way of not knowing yourself. Yeah.
1: <clears throat> There's it's
0: only like, a certain number of jelly babies you can have. Exactly. That's the you thing. Get sick There's of a bit an instant, in instinct, unless you have got, obviously, some people do genuinely do have an ill, but overall, I sometimes get a big packet of jelly babies and I think I'm going to eat all of them, but eventually my brain goes, that's really enough. <laughs> Just go <laughs> and run round the garden for a while. I know you're 68. What do you mean I'm 68? Mind, you know how old I am. <laughs> Listen, you tell yourself something, <laughs> enough, you
1: believe it. Um, but- to ask you about what kind of things you love reading and did you love reading cookbooks as a child like what kind of things did you grow up reading and
2: yeah um I loved reading cookbooks as a kid I absolutely loved it I was uh, absolutely I I think if I met my child self now I'd hate myself what a precocious little thing like horrible I used to love reading like Nigel Slater cookbooks and Nigella Lawson which is I mean, it's absolutely mad because we grew up in a very normal, like, working class household. And here I was like, so if I were to go to the market for a punnet of figs, you know, like, (laughs) (laughs) it it was not the life I was living, but clearly I had aspirations. But
1: that's something interesting (laughs) as well, I think, which is quite British, is that, like, in Britain, class has invaded food so much where, Mm. like, on the continent it's not expensive I mean this is too generalized but like it's not expensive to eat well in the same way and it's not considered a a class thing so whereas here it's like I mean it's it's changing definitely thank you Aldi you're the greatest but like (laughs) but it, it was definitely a thing I think where it was like to be seen to be eating certain foods is like that's not for you you're like yeah
2: it is completely and it, it's the extension yeah. we think we're so above this but we're absolutely not it's the extension of the you are what you eat logic you know the stuff that you put into your body somehow comes through in the kind of person that you are or the kind of person you want to appear to be at least and so that's that's how like this this stuff comes to be i actually um I said something recently about like, do you know what? It's fine to have ready meals. Like if if that's what's going to nourish you when you get in the door after a long day, have your ready meal and enjoy it. What a miracle. And people were so furious. They were like, only oafs would have ready meals. Um, This was in the Guardian comments, you can imagine. But do you know what I mean? That kind of like classism. And also it takes, it it, it does not consider the fact that people have a million reasons why they can't cook. Some people are disabled. Some people have no time. Some people have whole families to raise. Like, And what a what a amazing thing that we live in a time where you can put something in the microwave, four minutes later you've got a big meal in front of you. And also, I bet the same people commenting in The Guardian buy, like, Waitrose Ready Meals, but they're like, well, that's
1: different because it's rabbit. Yeah, I guarantee <laughs> they do. <laughs> Joyless. Yeah, there's something... Like, it's something interesting about, like, British class and how that affects food culture and how that does kind of suck, suck some of them. the joy out of it like yeah. because it's people being like this is how it should be done and i'm doing it correctly and it doesn't really matter whether or not i'm enjoying it or, or what that means i said so what so you read like see like nigella is like somebody who i see as like more about relaxation and pleasure and like sensuality i suppose in what she does yeah um, and Nigel Slater, who my ex-boyfriend always called Fatty Slater, in a very affectionate way, but I'm not
0: sure why. <laughs> so
1: there you go. Nigella
0: Lawson seems to have that, that <laughs> bit, before I got hampered with age, was that bit that I was going to say about being the post-war thing, which is there were these people Sorry. like Galloping Gourmet, as he was known. The Galloping... Uh, uh, Graham Kerr, I think. <laughs> that Graham Kerr was his name. And there was an interesting bit where, in the 60s and 70s... Uh, all the things that were rationed in the war that were now available was going, get a piece of gammon, pour cream on it, then stick some pineapple in it, because pineapple's are available, mash a banana on it, then cover it in brown sugar. Then, you know, and, and, so, and he used to make these kind of you know, incredible, very fatty meals. And then suddenly there was a point one day, I think he talked about the fact that he looked at his arms and he looked at the fat that was dripping off them as he ate with his his family, this enormous meat platter, and then went, hang on a minute, I've got to change what I'm doing. And really, I think that's an interesting, you know, that cultural thing where, you know, I, I often think that the, the people like my dad will live longer than, than than me because they went through rationing and all that kind of stuff. And then they had a, a good time. Whereas, we, you know, we, we went through our parents forcing us to eat these things. This wasn't available during the war. Keep <laughs> eating brown sugar with this big spoon. But my teeth hurt. I never thought about it in
1: those terms that, like, that was a reaction to that. And then after that, you've got all of the kind of low fat, which is really damaging. But, like, you could, I can see now, f- even from that, why 80s diet culture was rye and cottage cheese. Because it's almost like a 10-year hangover that people are like, oh, God, no more aspic. <laughs> just just and blue. But it makes sense. And, like, and then it makes sense that, like perhaps following that you've got people rediscovering things a little bit more generously and then following that you've got people going no no clean clean food yeah. you know
2: i think it's really symptomatic of the time we live in a hundred percent like it's not just um we've not reached some kind of logical end point this is just an expression of the food culture we have here and now and it is going to change again and lord knows what hideous form it's going to like <laughs> you know resurrect as. but at the moment i think we just feel really I think in general, people feel really anxious about the state of the world, mm. about food, about health, you know, all kinds of stuff's happening. Like the, the NHS is being sold off, people are scared. And so they're like, what can I do to to claw back some semblance of control over my life? And obviously food is the first port of call for that. So I think that's partly where this like fanatical kind of obsession with food has come from. And wellness yes. as well. And
1: food being the key to that somehow. Yeah. Of course that makes sense, because then it's like,
2: well, on a daily
1: basis, if I eat this, what I'll do is guard myself against these things that I can't possibly guard myself against. Yes, yeah. And in doing so, miss out on fun. <laughs> um, Who else to, on,
0: on the non-kind um, of, so not eating, but in, mm-hmm. in terms of generally, you know, you briefly mentioned the NHS there uh, as well, and, and <coughs> you... Uh, you know you talk about politics who are the people who inspire you in terms of uh, the writers and campaigners where you think especially because you, you, you are using a public profile in a way that is a lot more positive than merely going what is my brand
2: okay I like um, so there's one woman uh, Charlotte Cooper who wrote a book called fat activism which is really I mean fantastic and so academic and so well researched and i actually consulted that a lot when i was writing this book because i mean so much of talking about food is talking about bodies and we i think in general have a massive problem with just being so incredibly fat phobic in our society We it's a, it's considered like this last frontier of acceptable nastiness like you're allowed to just be cruel to someone because of their size so i really had to make sure i addressed that in the book which is why i read that and kind of outsourced lots of the uh, the opinions of my friends who were not slim and kind of tried not to like speak over people but so she's someone who's really really good and um, I don't know they are like loads of people I think that some lots of the food writing I really love is American at the moment and I wish it wasn't but it is there's someone called uh, Mayak Sen who I love and he he wrote this wonderful piece about um, being from, his family are from West Bengal and he Grew up as a queer person in America with his family from there, and he wrote about the history of fruitcake and fruitcake as a slur, an anti-queer slur, mm-hmm. and fruitcake as like this Indian delicacy, and in how those two histories come together. So stuff like that's what really gets me going.
0: Yeah. So where does that go? The come, fruitcake, fruitcake form, slur, then? then. What's the uh, What's the germ of, uh, yeah. of, of, of that?
2: exactly what you wrote I just remember it was good <laughs> that's, that's pretty much how I feel about most things I can never tell anyone the plot of a book I'm just like I really liked it but I can't remember why
0: well we've both reached the, the stage now I mean I'm, I'm 78 but I mean Joe jo, jo is only in her early 40s and uh, she, I'm just helping you then people will be really shocked when you look so young and uh, but that bit where you just have to make notes Billy Connolly in in uh, in, in, in the book that uh, his wife Pamela Stevenson wrote you know she uh, um. I think he has this quote where he goes, I don't know why I buy any more books. He said, because there is one I could just keep reading. Because it kind of goes. And I find that really difficult, where, where I go, I I've, I've read 10 books in January, but I had to note them down now. Is that... And I forget,
1: that, like, I had a conversation the other day where gradually over the course of the conversation... I realised that I'd seen the thing we were talking about that I'd said I'd not <laughs> seen because it just suddenly, like, the impression... It felt suddenly really impressionistically familiar. But, like, at the start, <laughs> I was like, wow, that sounds great, I've not seen it. And by the end, I was like, yeah, no, I remember now. They, they did this and the other. And it is, yeah, it's a bit depressing. i I tell you what I was thinking about when I was looking a bit at your book. I was thinking about... Because I've just been reading some interviews with her. Um, Nora reference book, Heartburn. I was oh, wondering if you'd yeah. read that. yes. Because I, I was thinking about how much, like people integrating genuine food writing with, you know, everything else and stuff like that. And, yeah, I, f- I felt like that was an interesting counterpoint. And also, I so I was reading, uh, I read James Salter's book, Light Years, which I really recommend. It's really great. It's, it's just a like book. a book about very poetic middle class people that I thought I was going to hate, but it was just too beautifully <laughs> written. And um, he, with his wife, wrote this book called uh, A Food Lover's Book of Days. Um, and I bought it for my boyfriend for Christmas, although he started going. The people who wrote this are very rich, aren't they? And I am <laughs> like, so sorry. Yes, I am so sorry. It's not, but it, it was about. It's about all of the culture and history surrounding food as well. So it's right. got that kind yeah. of encyclopedic element, and yeah, I, I think it, it's you forget what a big, like touchstone food is for so many other things. Um, and I was just wondering, like, what other things have you read, or that you would recommend that feed into
2: that a little bit i think i mean i think no reference like a great great example because like i mean this is the kind of food content so to speak that really gets me going is the stuff that's like not directly about food I, I find like foodie culture exhausting and boring to be honest And know i'm part of it <laughs> yeah. but you, it's just it's just really like it's too much for me i just want to enjoy food and understand the network of connections that surround food without being like what is going on in this particular foam like that's not my sure. interest so when Nora efren writes about food it is so often it's like a symbol of something or it's evocative of another time or whatever you know and uh for example there's this the the famous scene in when harry met sally where the you know i'll have what she's having one <coughs> what um what I particularly love about it is, and I read this in an essay, so this is not my own interpretation, but um, you so, should say somebody was inspired to write an essay after I thought this. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, sorry, it's it's so basically. I mean, obviously, it obviously it's about men and women, but it's also about the fact that she is like a wasp. And he is jewish yeah and and she orders like white bread and turkey or something like that and he orders pastrami on rye or something like yeah. that you know and there's this real like crossover um of like food and identity and all these things it always stands for so much more than just like nutrition in her stuff it's really interesting yes.
1: and even just like
2: nutrition in a kind
1: of like Trying to think of, like, that, like, chicken soup for the... It's, it's, like, going beyond the first few steps of, like, well, food is love to, like, no, yeah. food is, like, everything. Yeah. Yeah. It, um, yeah, definitely.
0: What do you read that's not... In terms of getting away from, from, from this topic, what mm. were the, what, what are the... Are you uh, more novels or non-fiction?
2: Uh, do you know what? I'm a terrible reader. Right, I'll say that. And... I when I do read something, I congratulate myself on it for a good six months, and that's why it <laughs> takes me so long to read anything else. But one thing I did <laughs> actually read recently was um, uh, by an author who's on the same on the same pub in the same publishing house as me. So I got sent her book, and I was like keen to engage. And I was really shocked because I so seldom get through a novel cover to cover. I've got like a million half finished on my bedside table, but this one I just it's called the word for women is wilderness and the authors abby andrews and it's just about this um it's about this girl erin and she's 19 and she goes on adventure she's like do you know what why why is it you know always men that get to have these big adventures into nothingness you know and get to dictate what what nature means i want to you know take that story and make it my own it's just about her her journey and it's absolutely so good and so um funny as well i loved it i really did and Now I want to go into the wilderness.
1: I, I um I have I I met somebody last year that um oh God, what am I do what I'm trying to say. I made a new friend <laughs> who is a woman who is a book a bushcraft practitioner. Um, but because she's a woman, it's like the whole industry around it is a lot more like people who were in the SAS saying they're going to conquer nature. Yeah. And her approach is so much more humane and real and connected to nature. And it is this thing that like, and partly because of kind of, because women are taught to be frightened of men and of being harmed in some way that like, men have this tradition of, yeah, like going out into the wild and stuff. And I've got to dominate nature and women are sort of told to be frightened and be held back and stuff like that. So, um. Yeah, it sounds really good. Isn't it. that partly
0: as well, though, down from the fact that so much of that tradition is the man goes out there and says, and you make sure you stay at home and keep the hope. You know, that, that's, but when you read about, you know, the mountaineers and these uh, explorers, yeah, and like, that in the end, there's someone going, OK, what are you can do? I'm going to go and, you know, have all my fingers cut off after getting f- frostbite, and I'm going to go and have this adventure. And you make sure when I get back in six months' time, that you make something have. I can eat with yeah. whatever's left of my hands. So yeah. I think there's, a, there's also that comes in. To it doesn't it this kind of just archaic culture which is you know across the board of of you know changing obviously but still it means that that's why why didn't they go out and adventure because they were told stay there yeah,
1: yeah. or they were literally left holding their baby yeah the that's baby. what i mean yeah the whole yeah. thing yeah but that's really interesting because like it's just exciting to think that culture is changing like it's exciting to think that like different people are writing their stories now and that will mean different people are having the adventures.
0: Well, we are doing this today on the... uh, the, We're actually recording this on the 100th anniversary of uh, uh, the victory of the suffragette movement.
1: It's all right. Do you know what's hilarious about that? Is this, this idea of, like... There is a certain class of person who would like to consider themselves left wing, but who is not, who will praise the suffragettes of the past, but hate on the left of the present in the same breath and be like, well, of course, the suffragettes were very noble people and not like the suffragettes like smashed shit up yeah, they were and, rowdy. Yeah, and caused some trouble. Yeah. And if you want to see the people doing that now on the left, don't tell them off because they are really, really trying to fight for things.
0: Well, yeah. Are you, like? are you going with the suffragists or the suffragettes? That's the issue, isn't it? That's your decision.
1: Hang on, which are, the suffragists? Suffragettes, are gonna... actually,
0: they were the ones who, who went. I'll tell you what, it's time he blew his house up. No one's in there. Uh, and did that <laughs> stuff. And the suffragists, I think I'm getting this right, is uh, that was the, the movement which was Little through idea. persuasion. But were, I mean, it's interesting. There's two books that have, I've, I've just read a huge review uh, of, of these two books, and and, it's, and they say you know it, it's very hard to say which movement was the most effective. Well, also they the, both you know, and that's the thing where there's that great book by um, Good, uh, Mary uh, Tolbert and Brian Tolbert, uh, which is all about. Oh God, I can remember the, the surname. It's a fictional suffragette. But with the much like the actual film stuff, that thing where it it there is a, a as far as I know that the, the the lead character in that is is fictional, but surrounded by the actual historical characters. And this same book by uh, Mary Tolbert and Brian Tolbert. It was I only read it like a couple of months ago. And I was like, whoa, this is you, the barbarism that you know the the force feeding yeah. and the hatred. Yeah. It's kind of
1: and the like. The constant bullshit they had to put up with with being ridiculed and demeaned in the press and being attacked personally and having people I just saw today online like nasty postcards being sent and it's like Nasty Postcards yeah, There was one really? like thing and I'll try and find the it. The original in tweet. Yeah, exactly. It's literally oh. saying like you. It seems you have no husband, and it seems you have no children. So what you ought to do is drown yourself to get yourself out of the way. <laughs> it's like oh fucking. My God. Yeah, but also it's kind of it's interesting to sort of see certain ways of behaving as not necessarily like unavoidable, but kind of perpetual, and yeah. just finding their different nasty anonymous outlets and stuff like that. Yeah uh sally heathcote I sally
0: heathcote is. yes by by mary and brian Tolbert. um so what are you uh I, I also want to know before we let you go uh those books that are stacking up that you haven't finished what are the ones that you have the greatest intention of going on because we've always oh talked God, on this yeah. show there are many books that hang over us those ones yeah. we've never finished can yeah. you think of which are the ones you're going i really will get back to that one
2: Ooh, um what have i got oh the ones that i got for christmas actually Sorry, Mum. I've not started it yet. Uh, called Black and British, which really, really looking forward to getting going on. And the guy who wrote it, I think, had done a couple of TV shows, I think, for the BBC. And um, I, I think it's fascinating. It turns out that you know we like to think like, oh, people came over on Windrush, and 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 that was it. But no, there there were Black Britons like way back in the Roman times mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So that's one thing.
0: That's like those, those images of the First World War where you actually find out that, you know, what we, we predominantly see are images of uh, white men in trenches. Mm. And then any time that the BBC or whatever makes a drama and there's anyone from any different kind of ethnic backgrounds. like, oh, this is political correctness. No, no, go uh, no, the other no. version was a kind of, not a political correctness, yeah. but a kind of a, 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 a cleansing of... Ian Hislop actually did an amazing thing about the number... I, I can't remember at one point, um, the number of soldiers... It's about one-third, I think, of soldiers had come from India, for instance, really? and were and were in the, in the early part of the uh, First I've, World War.
1: I've definitely seen comparisons where people have been, like, cut out of photo evidence and stuff. But, yeah, also, like like black british people in the in elizabethan times and like yes. being a part of society for it's, it, it does blow my mind the version of history that manages to make it which is so inaccurate and so like whitewashed and airbrushed in a certain like very thin narrative because it's like what what i suppose i could, i know what it serves to make it unrealistic i know but at the same time like in modern reality, what does it serve to be so unrealistic? Nothing. It's, it's well, so everyone, it's all It's, it's all wrong.
0: subjective, isn't it? It's like that bit where I, I remember thinking, talking to Al Murray and going, oh, there's lots of right-wing historians now. And he goes, well, there's lots of right-wing historians now because there was a boom in kind of Marxist historians, people like Christopher Hill. And such So what you get is you get different phases where the stories become a vehicle for... Right. That's why I like Howard Zinn. People's history of America. Yeah, um so what's the next book? Uh have you got another one now up your sleeve? This is complete. Oh, f- oh
2: hell no. That's
1: harsh. No. no, this one
2: came out two days ago, yeah, wasn't yeah. This one? <laughs> no, I'm, I'm recovering for a little while. Yeah, and see see how it goes.
0: Brilliant. So Eat Up is out now, in fact. Yeah. From so. Serpent's Tale. Yeah. Thanks thank so, so very for much doing for doing this.
2: Thank you.
1: I wanted to say thank you to the following people. Tony Hanlon, Thomas Taylor, Daniel Robinson, Eleanor Yu,
0: Michaela Goodlad, Alistair Thomas, Nathaniel Medcalf and Sarah Mills.
1: Nathaniel Medcalf!
0: He didn't need to do that, didn't did he? not need to do that to He's our, our comic book specialist.
1: We've got different tiered rewards that are coming. So, And what they include is behind-the-scenes stuff, live YouTube Q&As, and we're going to have a book club as well with me and Robin and special guests. There'll be gig tickets, we've got tote bags, which are really funny, uh, be a guest on Book Shambles, etc. So if you go to patreon.com forward slash bookshambles or cosmicshambles.com. Do
0: we even have to say forward slash anymore? I never know.
1: I do, but I think it'll prove that I'm outdated. Mm.
0: Not as outdated as me. I'm
1: 57. You look great.
0: Thanks. <laughs> this podcast is part of the Cosmic Shambles Network. Josie Robbins Book Shambles was produced by Trent Burton of Trunkman Productions.